Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Good morning, everybody. All right. To start, I would just pray. Father God, I pray you anoint my mind and anoint my lips, so I do justice to your word for your glory. Amen. Amen. So, we are carrying on our series on kingdom influence. And today, I'm going to talk to you about the smell of the kingdom. Now, Mark said to me a few weeks ago, Graham, can you preach this Sunday? I said, yes. He said, what element of the kingdom are you going to speak about? And I'm going to say, I'm going to speak about the smell of the kingdom. And he gave me a funny look and then went to Rwanda. (laughs) So, bless you, Mark, if you're watching. (laughs) I'm speaking about the smell of the kingdom. Now, maybe you wonder, uh, what on earth am I going to talk about? Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of a clue about what the smell of the kingdom can be all all about. So, this smell is an influence, okay? That's what we're talking about, kingdom influence. And our vision is to bring growing kingdom influence and transformation in every area of our lives, community, and beyond. So... What does the kingdom smell like then? I know you're really on the edge of your seat now wanting to hear what this is. But I can tell you that the kingdom has top notes of orange, mandarin orange, mint, neroli, and bergamot and lemon. Then it has middle notes of carnation, ginger, and rhubarb. Jasmine, celery seeds, and rose. And then bottom notes, base notes of amber, musk, and oak moss. Well, at least that's what Mark Jacobs' fragrance called Kingdom smells like, so I'm told. And I was going to buy some, but at that price, I wasn't going to do that, no. And this is from eBay, £220 for 50 mils. And um, if you notice on there, it's used. <laughs> so how do you get used perfume and sell it? Do you scrape it off and put it in a... Uh, I, no, 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 no. Let's not go there. I think it basically means that somebody's opened the bottle first. So um, has anybody ever worn that? You don't want to admit that if you... <laughs> so that's what that kingdom fragrance smells like uh, by Alexander McQueen. Very rare to get hold of, very expensive. Um, but... Paul says um, that there's a smell of the kingdom. He says in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15, Paul says that Christ, through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ. And that's what I want to talk about to you today. Um, Because um, there's lots of smells in the Bible. And Paul mentions smells here, and there's a lot written in the Bible about smells. But why should that be? Why would the Bible have things about smells in it? So just reflect a bit on smells. First of all, <coughs> smells are very evocative. 
Okay, they bring um, our, our memories back to mind. This is a very poetic thing written by uh, an American called Diane Ackerman. She says, Nothing is more memorable than a smell. One scent can be unexpected, momentary and fleeting, yet conjure up childhood summer beside a lake in the mountains, another moonlight beach, a third a family dinner of pot roast, sweet potatoes, and myrtle-clad August in a Midwestern town. You can tell she's American. Smells detonate, I love this bit, smells detonate softly in our memory like poignant landmines hidden under a weedy mass of years. Hit a trip prior of smell and memories explode all at once. A complex vision leaps out of the undergrowth. Don't smells are like that, aren't they? You could smell something uh, like uh, maybe some bubble gum or something like that that you might find. And then it takes you right back to when you're a little kid and you bought some bubble gum of exactly that same sort of smell. Do you know what it's like? Smells are almost like a, a time machine. You smell something, you're right back to that very moment when those things happened. Smells are very evocative. Um, they are deeply connected to memory. I think that's one reason why smells are mentioned in the Bible quite a lot. Bear that in mind. Um, but smells also change atmosphere and mood. I know this for truth because I've just started going to the gym and when I come home from the gym, I change the atmosphere and mood in my house. <laughs> and that atmosphere and mood does not change until I've taken my kit off and had a shower. <laughs> As my son will say, Dad, you smell. It's great that families are, are open with one another. <laughs> so, <coughs> Paul says... <laughs> Uh, Paul says that we can, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't look at this bit here. So this is um, from the, the from the Telegraph online, and um, this lady here, Claire Thorpe, says how you can change the atmosphere and mood in your open plan house by having different smells in different areas. And I, I just thought this was fantastic. So you thought you're coming to church just for a sermon, but I'm giving you some um, interior design advice here. So what she suggests is Joe Malone, London's green tomato leaf in the kitchen. Um, and that helps uh, give you a lovely impression that you're cooking something beautiful. And then maybe you have pomegranate noir in the corner um, because this signifies a different part of your home. And then maybe if you want to have some sort of workspace office, you have some grapefruit going there. You know, I, I don't expect you to run out now and buy your pomegranate noir. But the point is that... <laughs> Smells change atmosphere. They change atmosphere and they change mood. Whether they change it badly for me when I come back from the gym or nicely for the pomegranate noir in, in your house. So, uh, we can transform a room with our scent, but we can also transform the, the world as we go round with our scent as well. And um, <coughs> that's interesting Smells are evocative, they're browned up with memory, they can change the atmosphere and affect the mood. So now we're going to look at the Bible and various um, bits of smells mentioned in the Bible. Some of these smells are real smells that people actually smelt. Some of these smells are more uh, uh, metaphorical or symbolic. But these, these words, even if they're symbolic, 
they're still having that connotation that these things are very memorable, they change atmosphere and they change mood. And that's what we're going to look about. Uh, some of these smells God likes, some of these smells are to affect the people around us. So are you ready for this journey into smell? This is something that shouldn't be sniffed at. Oh, now that's a real dad joke, but I am a dad, so I'm allowed to say dad jokes. Ah, okay, so we're going to circle back to that passage in Corinthians, but first of all, I want us to look at these three areas. Uh, we have an aroma of our prayers, an aroma of our repentance, an aroma of our witness. So, did you know that your prayers smelt? Oh, before I carry on, <clears throat> just turn to the neighbour next to you, look them in the eye, and say you smell. <laughs> I know you've been wanting to say that from the time you came in here. <clears throat> it's, it's very important, and, and you, can, you can say that with all authority because the Bible says so, okay? Right. And that's what we're going to learn today, that you do smell, because your prayers smell, your repentance smells, and your witness smells. Okay. Some of you smell nicer than others, though, but no, no, I'm not going to go there. <coughs> yeah, bless you. So, the aroma of our prayers. Did you know that your prayers smell? In the Old Testament, um, there's this wonderful psalm, and it says, Let the, my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Psalm 1412. You know that even the history of the uh, Christian church, um, the, the church has often used incense as well to represent the prayers of the faithful. If you go to uh, like a Catholic church or an Ethan Orthodox church, you walk into the door and you might get hit by this wall of smell of incense in there because that's representing the, and symbolic of the prayers being lifted up to heaven. Just as the same way as in the Old Testament that the incense was used as a symbolic for, for prayers. So in the Old Testament, God commanded the, uh, the priests of Israel to continually burn aromatic incense um, made from a blend of five exotic spices, and they burnt that on the golden altar inside the Holy of Holies. You can see the recipe for, for this incense um, in Exodus 30, 34 to 38, and if you want to try and make it up at home... <laughs> Um, it's got some wild things I've never heard of before, stack tea and onica and gorbanum, sweet spices and pure frankincense. The thing about these spices were that God said you could only make them up for this incense offering. You weren't allowed to make it up for anything else. So when people smelt this, it was a special smell that brought back all the memories and all the associations with this was about praying to God. It's a special, special smell. Second scripture here shows where, where about Aaron burning these, these. He says, And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. 
And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he should burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. This was a, the incense of the prayers, representing the prayers going up to God. But you know, it, it wasn't simply the fragrance itself that God liked. It was what that fragrance represented. That fragrance represented the prayers continually um, going up from his people. In Revelation as well, we see about what happens and we see that, uh, that four elders fell down before the land, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. So there's whole bowls that God's got of our prayers and it's our incense to him. You know, when we come in to church and we are praying and praising and worshipping, it's almost as if that's some incense going up to heaven at that moment. You know that our prayer and our praise changes the atmosphere in the room. It's our prayer and our praise that can create a reaction when somebody walks in and somebody senses something different in that place. Our prayer and our praise goes to God, but it swells around us in the room and it can change the atmosphere. That's the aroma of our prayers and our praise. But it's not just that. There's also an aroma of repentance. So in the Old Testament, as well as this um, incense that was being burnt, and this would be, be smelling um, this beautiful smell of these five exotic spices, there was a, a burnt sacrifice that was made. And that sacrifice would have had some smell to it as well. And um, Aaron is, uh, in the Old Testament, they're told to lay hands in Leviticus, lower hands of the head on the burnt offering, and it'll be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. So that atonement is a tricky old word from the Bibles. I was told that you could describe it by saying at one moment, like break up the word a little bit. It's making us at one with God. Atonement is about reconciliation between God and mankind. And in this time in the Old Testament, that reconciliation um, happened through a sacrifice. And then the second verse there, it says there to wash the internal organs and legs with water and the priest is to burn that sacrifice as a burnt offering, a food offering. And an aroma would come up from that that was pleasing to the Lord. But then again, it's not the aroma of the sacrifice that God likes so much. It's what that aroma represents. Because that aroma represents the repentance of his people, clean souls, and changed lives. And even now, I believe that when we repent before God, it's as if we are creating an aroma that rises up to heaven. And it's pleasing to God. But our repentance also creates an atmosphere around us that people will smell as well as they see clean souls and change lives. They can smell it on us. I love this story from Luke that sort of brings literal smells and repentance together. The story in Luke from 
Uh, the full story, Luke 7, 36 to 50, is when the Pharisees invite Jesus round for dinner and they get more than they bargained for. Because Jesus is there to have dinner and then a prostitute comes in and then she has this um, jar of, uh, of perfume and she pours it over uh, him and wipes her feet, his feet with her tears and her hair. And the Pharisees go, what on earth's going on here? They can't see what's going on. They just want the woman out. But Jesus sees the heart of repentance in this lady and forgives her. I think this is a very um, amazing image of all this smell in the room, this grace being offered, this repentance and this forgiveness. And you can just picture the Pharisee's house when everybody has left afterwards and he's sitting there and he's sniffing and he can smell that perfume on the floor and it brings back to his mind the grace that was bestowed on this woman. Sticks in the mind. Changes the atmosphere. Moves the souls. And in the same way, when we repent... It's something um, uh, that is a beautiful smell towards God. Then we have the aroma of our witness. The aroma of our witness. Now there's some prayers and repentance are smells that God likes and there are also smells that other people can appreciate but our witness is something that uh, is for both also. And the aroma of our witness um, is something that extends around us, up to God and around the world. And to talk about this, uh, I want to go back to the first verse I mentioned from Paul. And I deliberately cut down that verse when I introduced it to you. Now I'm expanding it out so you can see Paul's words in the context of this portion of Scripture. And I'm going to read this to you and I want to explain to you the image that Paul is trying to convey through this passage of Scripture. So this says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. So Paul's talking about some triumphal procession and he's talking about some smells that are surrounding that procession and he's saying those smells are going up to God and those smells are going round to other people as well. But what is this triumphal procession that Paul is talking about? Well, if you look in some other translations of the Bible, for example, the King James Version, it doesn't actually use this um, phrase, triumphal procession. 
Um, it uses uh, the, the word that is rendered there is translated slightly differently. It's translated causes us to triumph. However, this word um, in the Greek, and I'm becoming a little bit of a Greek geek in my old age. This word is um, the ambio, which means to triumph. It's found in only two places in the Bible. It's found here, and it's also found in Colossians um, 2.15, where it says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now, if you look to see how this word is used throughout Greek literature, you can see that it's never really used in the context of causes us to triumph. This word is used um, in association with um, a special thing that the Romans did, which was called uh, a Roman triumph, which was like a victory parade done by the military. So uh, this word is more accurately, um, accurately described as um, celebrating by means of a triumph a prior victory over somebody. And this fits well with that other passage in Colossians about um, raw, disarmed rules and authorities being led in, in shame because he's triumphing over them. So, so Paul has this picture of this Roman military parade and we're surrounded with lots of smells. And that's what he's talking about. But why was he doing that? Well, let's think about what this military parade was like. So this is not a photograph. <laughs> this is an artistic um, representation of what this military parade could look like. Now, these military parades happened in Rome only. And they, were, they happened quite often, but not regularly, maybe once every year or a couple of years or whatever. And um, they have special, uh, special um, things you had to comply with to have a military parade like this. So the general had to be the sole commander of all the forces. He had to have fought against a foreign enemy. He couldn't be other Romans. He had to have killed, not single-handedly, but his army, 5,000 people in a single battle. So if he got 4,999, <laughs> he was just unlucky. And the battle had to be an unequivocal success. If he met all those criteria, then potentially he could have a triumph. And this triumph was an amazing affair. He would almost be treated a little bit like a demigod for that moment. He would be great status put on him. Everybody would go crazy. Everybody would go wild. He would wait outside the, the city limits of Rome until he was allowed to come in because you weren't allowed to bring your soldiers in unless um, it was a triumph. And um, then he would ride in a chariot with four white horses. He'd have a purple toga on him. He would have his tunic stitched with palm fronds. He would carry a scepter with an eagle. And his face was tinted red in reference to the god Jupiter. He would have all his victorious army or representation of it behind. And in front, he would have captured um, prisoners of war. Sometimes they'd be dressed in their um, own clothes from whichever country they come from. He would carry loads of treasures as well, all the booty they'd, they'd, um, they'd stolen in the, in the battle. 
And there would sometimes be pictures and models showing scenes of, of um, the great exploits that he's done. And then alongside everybody would be priests. And those priests would be having um, burning censers full of incense. And that incense would be um, lots of different fragrances and spices and cinnamon and things like that. And that would be heavy in the air. Then there'd be music playing. And then when they go along the past different temples, there'd be sacrifices made right to the uh, temple of Jupiter at the end where there'd be more sacrifices made. So there'd be burnt offerings and smells. So this was like an amazing thing. Crowds watching, people marching, smells everywhere on this triumphant procession. So why did Paul use this? as uh, his image to frame this passage of scripture. Well, in this case, Paul... Uh, oh yeah, and what did, where did Paul see himself as well? Did he see himself as part of the victorious army? Or did Paul see himself as part of the conquered prisoners of war? And that, I think that's, that's the key. I think Paul saw himself as one of the prisoners of war. Just if you're interested, this is um, another picture here. This is taken from the Arch of Titus, which is an arch like this in Rome, you can see today. And this uh, image here would have been on the inside face like that. And this is um, uh, the victory triumph um, parade after the sack of Jerusalem. You can see they've got... um, a lampstand there. Maybe that was a lampstand taken from the temple. So, that was your little bit of history aside. So where did Paul see himself? Did he see himself in the army? Or did he see himself as the uh, captured people? I think he saw himself in the captured people. In Paul's mind, the general is God. And in his mind, he is one of the conquered people. Paul, you see, he was conquered by Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul was God's enemy. What did Jesus say to him on the road to Damascus? Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul, later named, changed to Paul, he was God's enemy. But God conquered him on the road to Damascus. And Paul now considers himself a slave of Christ. It's a phrase that he uses in the scriptures. You can see it in Ephesians. And the whole of Corinthians too, if you do read it, has lots of symbolism to do with suffering, affliction and death. In the beginning of the chapter you see about all the sufferings that Paul has gone through. And in chapter 4, we talk, it talks about um, Paul carrying in his body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in his mortal flesh. These are big pictures. These are quite serious things. And you know, because Jesus says, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So in this scripture, we have this picture of Paul seeing himself as part of a Roman triumphal procession. His apostleship 
and his missionary activity was like some victory procession going through the world with Christ as the victor and he was the conquered one. He was the conquered one. And everywhere he went, the conquered one got the glory because this person here, the, the conqueror, got the glory because the conquered one was the one who was the enemy of Christ. People would see Paul and they would see Paul, uh, aren't you Saul who was the persecutor of the church? Aren't you the person that murdered Christians? How you've changed now. And now you're witnessing to Jesus. Paul, everywhere he went, showed he was conquered by the Lord. And everywhere he went, showing he was conquered by the Lord, there was this smell that went round with him everywhere. Just like in that victory procession, there was a smell that went, showing that this was what God can do. God can change a life. Can change a life. And Paul was totally submitted to his, his general Jesus. Totally submitted. No matter what it took, whether it was suffering, hardship, or trouble, Paul was taking up the cross and following Jesus, submitted to the general king. And that's what his missionary life was like. It was out to the world. Just like the smells of this victory parade around Rome would have lingered in the streets afterwards, where Paul went, the smell of his witness lingered afterwards. And people would have smelt his witness and been touched by it. Been touched by it. We can say that the fragrance of Christ can only come through being led in triumphal procession as captives of Christ. As captives of Christ. Now the ESV makes it um, quite clear that there's two different smells. One is the smell, well, there's one smell, but different noses. And it makes it clear by this by using an aroma and fragrance. So it talks about um, some smell going up to God, but also smell going out into the world. It's the same smell, but it's different noses. Now, God likes the smell, but this smell has a different effect on different people. If we go back to this picture of the, the victory parade... The smell of all those spices and things around them would have had different effects on different people in that parade. The soldiers behind the general would be thinking, great, this is our moment to be glorified in Rome. The prisoners would think, oh dear, this smell means um, something bad's going to happen at the end. And some of them were, were killed in the arena. So it's one smell, different noses. In the same way that Paul writes in this passage, and he says that some of the smells is like... um, Let's go back to that. He says 
Um, to one, the fragrances from death to death, to the other, fragrances of life to life. It talks about those being saved and those who are perishing. Now, this is a, a present participle, those being saved and those who are perishing. Who, what's a person like who's being saved? I think a person like being saved is somebody who is open to the gospel. When you smell the witness of another Christian, it is a beautiful smell. I think of Cornelius in the Bible in Acts 10. He wasn't a Christian, but he was a godly person. As soon as Peter came to him and explained to the truth, he jumped at the chance to embrace Christ. The smell was great. And it affected him. He thought it's beautiful, and I'm going to become a Christian. He was somebody who was being saved, as if it were. There are other people that are perishing, even in this life. We're not talking about another life. We're talking about this life. People are perishing now. Because they smell the witness that we give, but it just seems foolish to them. And it seems bad on their their noses. Let's pray that their noses will change. So they will smell the good smell of, of, of Jesus. But this is a tricky thing. Because uh, this is a tricky thing. And... Um, Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? (laughs) Because it's a difficult thing to take up the cross of Christ and follow him. Uh, And he said, the answer is no one is sufficient. We're not sufficient in ourselves. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, he explains that we're not sufficient in ourselves because all our sufficiency comes from God. So to take up the cross and follow him in this victory parade where God is our, our general and we are submission to him, We can't do it by ourselves. We do it because our sufficiency comes from God. There's an interesting phrase at the end of this because he says that we're not peddlers of God's word. That word peddlers um, means that you're not somebody that sells something in a dodgy way. We're not selling the God's word in a dodgy way. And a dodgy way could be um, that they were selling some wine and they put a little bit of water in it. So they're, uh, they're selling that. That would be a peddler of wine. It could be that somebody was selling some grain and they put their thumb on the scales a little bit so you don't actually get as much as you, you should be getting. But Paul's saying that we're not peddlers of God's word. And he's saying that because he doesn't want to water down what it means to be a Christian. We're not going to water down what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to take up the cross and follow Jesus. And that is where the smell of our witness will go to all around us. That is the smell and that is the smell that makes the difference. It's not always a thing you want to hear in church. (laughs) Take up your cross. It's much nicer to talk about let's improve the worship experience (laughs) let's improve the lighting, let's improve the programs, let's do this or let's do that. All those things are great. But the thing is, if we want to smell like Jesus, we have to act like Jesus and take up the cross like him. This will change the atmosphere around us. This will change the mood. This will stick in people's minds. 
The kingdom of God should be full of sweet incense of our prayers. The kingdom of God should be uh, full of the aroma of our repentance and the fragrance of our witness. It should announce our presence, change the atmosphere everywhere we go and linger where we leave. That is the smell of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we joked when we turned to each other and said that we smell, but indeed we do smell. Father, bring out the smell of your kingdom within us. Father, as we live as captive to the cross, we live lives showing your victory over us as we submit ourselves to you. May that fragrance go out the world and touch the world everywhere we go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.